What's up, guys? If you are an athlete that is looking to take your talents to the next level, this is an interview that you need to be dialed into. So I'm going to encourage all of my listeners across the entire globe that if you're listening to this right now, make sure that you're listening during a time where you can actually pay attention to the full interview. The reason I say that is because throughout the duration of this entire thing, you're going to have so many golden nuggets that you're going to want to take notes on. We're going to be talking about you know, the transition from high school to collegiate athletics. We're going to be talking about club sports going into you know, club sports compared to high school sports, how club sports can benefit you. We're going to be talking about some of the things, if you're a, a, a smaller athlete, like what are the things that you can control that can get you recruited if you're maybe not the biggest in stature? You know what I mean? We're going to be talking about a lot of these things. We're also going to be talking about Max Hoops because the director of Max Hoops is the one joining us today. It's going to be an awesome interview here on the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game time. This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everyone? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. Excited to have you guys listening, joining us today. This is episode episode 249 of the show. Uh, quick thanks to everybody who has joined me over the past five and a half years. If this is your first time listening, like I always say, welcome aboard. We're excited to have you. The only thing I ask from you guys is, one, enjoy the show, and two, if you enjoy it, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how we get out to more and more people. The goal by the end of 2022 for me at least, just a personal goal for the show is to get this to 100 countries or more. So we're at 96 countries. And the way that we get there is every single review and every single share of this show uh, gets out to more people. That way it boosts the algorithm within uh, the Apple Podcasts app and the other apps that have podcasts on them, such as Spotify and TuneIn. And you guys know the drill. So just leave me a review. Let's get it out there. And hopefully you guys enjoy. So joining me today very special guest, somebody I just uh, connected with literally within the last 24 hours. The director of Max Hoops, uh, he was a Division One athlete over at the University of Portland. He works at Pacific University, was working with the uh, men's basketball team for the last five years. Um, and he's got a lot of knowledge he's going to share with us right now about his journey, whether it be with an athlete from the coaching side of things and just what he's got going on um, with, with Max Hoops and everything in between. His name is Brant Miner. Brant, thanks so much for joining the show. Yeah, Shane, thanks for having me. I'm glad we were able to connect. And I saw the Instagram page and was flipping through and um, honored that you would invite me to come chat with you a little bit. So really looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely, man. So that's the beauty of social media randomly, like get these connections and so forth. But I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that you, you, you know, you hit me up and we're talking about club ball. And there's some other things that we can talk about there, too. But like getting you as a guest on the show, it's like it, it, it's meant to happen, in my opinion. I think it's awesome. Um, so first and foremost, you told me you were just dealing with an injury. So injuries, they happen in sports. Talk to, how did you hurt yourself, Brant? Yeah, uh, playing basketball. Well, wow. trying to play basketball, I guess, more like it. I'm 38 years old now and was playing my first game back post-pandemic. And I closed out and I ruptured my Achilles tendon. So definitely um, not a great way to get back in shape now being hobbled up and crutches and everything, but um, trying to keep the positive, keep perspective. It's my left 
Achilles, so I'm still able to drive. So I'm still able to use the right foot for the gas and brake pedal. And um, it wasn't my face, so it could have it been worse. I'm trying to keep it in perspective, but definitely a crappy injury to have. Oh, yeah, man. That's that's brutal. I like that you're keeping it positive. So there's that for the athletes that might be listening to the show, right? Keep the positive perspective, any kind of injuries. A couple episodes ago, I was talking to Taylor Hall. She plays down at uh, Biola University, and she had had two ACL tears back-to-back. It's like she had been healthy for less than a month, was cleared to play, and then she tears her ACL again, bang, bang, went through some of those. And it was similar. She was trying to keep a positive mindset because those are injuries that don't – they're not just overnight recoveries. You have to go – through a lot of stuff that's a surgery and then you let the surgery heal and then you go through uh physical therapy and there's a lot that goes along with it uh from a mental side of things as well um i want to ask you on that topic as as you as we mentioned in the um introduction for you brant you were a division one athlete through your experience as an athlete did you ever experience any types of injuries like that or is this the first major quote-unquote injury that you've had in your entire life Fortunately, this is my first major one. Obviously, um, I played at the University of Portland. Shout out, go Pilots. Um, but I didn't have any major injuries, rolled ankles, you know, things like that, that um, deep thigh bruises, contusions, things like that, but never a surgery requiring injury like I suffered recently. But definitely it is part of the game. It's one of those things, if you play long enough, you're probably going to end up with an injury. Definitely not something I would wish upon anybody, but um, it is part of the game and I'm hopefully going to get back healthy. I was 38 and still able to get up above the rim. Um, I don't know if my dunking days are over or not, but definitely going to have to change my style of play a little bit if it doesn't come back as strong as it was. Hey, it just turned. So I'm 33 and I feel like I'm way older than you, by the way, that you're talking like, listen, my dunking days are way over. They've been gone for a minute. But just sit behind the three-point line and then body up some some guys and, and you'll be good. Three's worth more than two anyways, man. That's what I always tell everyone, Brand. Like, three's worth more than two. Chill out there. You get less injuries. And then you can bang some guys in the paint if they need to come in there and, and body up. And you can do some stuff there. But, yeah, dude, you don't uh, you don't need to be dunking anymore. That's all I got to say. No, I'm just joking, man. You got to Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can still shoot it a little bit. But it's always good to get the kids' respect a little bit when they're like, whoa, Coach Miner. <laughs> just got up above the rim. Wow. Kind of catches him off guard a little bit that the old guy who can't hardly get up and down anymore can still go up and throw it down. But I'll, I be, do back. Have, I'll be back. I do have a massive respect for the fact that you can get up there at that age. That's awesome, dude. So keep, yeah, keep working back. I was just messing around. Now I want to touch base on this brand. You, you were talking about, you know, your university, sorry, D1 athlete at the university of Portland. Let's talk about your playing days as an athlete, even in your teenage days and so forth. When you were playing high school basketball at that time, uh, did you, were you involved with AAU basketball or club basketball as they call it now? It's either, either or club basketball, AAU basketball, same, pretty much the same exact thing. So were you involved with that as well as high school athletics as you were going through, you know, your high school days? Yeah. So I grew up in Southern Oregon. I went to Grants Pass High School. Uh, played three sports for all four years, played soccer, basketball, and baseball. So I was busy all year round, but in the summers, I played basketball with some traveling teams, some club programs. Uh, I had a great experience doing that, traveled around the West Coast, uh, going into senior year, had a great team, great group of guys. One of the guys was my roommate in college, and some of my best friends were those guys on those teams. So... I decided to go to University of Portland. I played, well, played. I was on the team. I was a walk-on, so we use that term play rather loosely. I was on the team. <laughs> I, pl- I played when we beat Gonzaga. 
Yes, I worked sir. out in the most conversations, Shane, but I did play when we beat Gonzaga and I had a great experience traveling around, playing in the West Coast Conference and had some amazing opportunities and experiences playing. Uh, but yeah, the club basketball scene, when I got into coaching, I started a team. My first team was called the Oregon Stars. And we had that team when I was at Southern Oregon University coaching five years. We ran that program, um, had over 90% of the kids go off to college, had one kid go D1. The rest were all small college, NAIA, D3, D2, junior college level players. But I did that when I was coaching at Southern Oregon. And now I have my own club team again, and it's called Grit. And Grit is the club team that I direct. Now I have great coaches that work with me. So that's a big part, I think, just that experience. That's my big, big emphasis is the positive experience and development. Um, that's at least my program right now. I'm not hyping kids on the exposure piece. You know, if a kid's good enough, you know, I know, I know a lot of coaches at every level from power five to junior college to NC, CAA, NAIA. So I know coaches from every level, but I'm not going to sell exposure to kids. I'd rather sell them on, you're going to have a positive experience. Um, we're going to get along with our teammates, play hard, play together. You know, I mentioned the names grit, which is one of my favorite qualities in a player, you know, grit, toughness, moxie. And also grit is an acronym for gratitude resiliency, intensity, togetherness. So that's what our acronym is. So we talk about being thankful, you know, showing gratitude just to be able to play the game. Resiliency, especially after coming back from a pandemic, you know, obviously the game can be taken away, whether that's with an injury, like I'm experiencing now, or a pandemic. You don't make a team, you get cut. So being resilient and bouncing back from adversity and then being intense, you know, I'm trying to get our players to play with a little bit of passion and fire and not show up lukewarm or average, but show up with a little passion and excitement. And then together, you know, we're not trying to spotlight or highlight one player on our club AAU program. We're trying to share the ball and play hard and play together. And if you play hard and play together, you're going to look all right in most, AAU atmospheres. Totally, man. That's so cool. I'm going to take that little sound clip out too of uh, what you just said about grit. I think I'm going to highlight that piece on this, on this as we promote it, because that is so awesome. I love that whole, everything you just said right there as a coach at the club level myself, I'm, you know, we, we preach the, the togetherness, but the thing is the reality is not every kid buys into that. Unfortunately, in, in regards to like how important it is to play as a team, they just pretty much think, Oh, Coach is just talking. We've heard this a million times. Cliche, play together. Da, 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 da. But I will say, I will just echo what you said, Brant. As in my experience now, when we play certain teams and when we ourselves play together and we see teams that are playing together, there's a massive difference. You might go play these teams in California like we've done that are like crazy good athletes. They're 6'3 through 6'7, 1 through 9 on the bench, can all dunk, all this stuff. There's a team out of Oregon named Fly Select, I believe is what they're, they are. And I will tell you what, that was the best team I've ever coached against. We played them a couple weeks ago at the NPI here in, in the Treasure Valley. Those kids were amazing, but the, the difference wasn't just their athleticism. That's one thing. Their difference was their togetherness. I, I think it's just a, they all play. Every single thing you said, every possession mattered to them. Nobody cared about like getting just theirs. Everybody got a, got a, got theirs. Like everybody got theirs and they knew they were going to get theirs. You could, you could sense it. One player scores. They're all celebrating because they know eventually they're all going to get theirs. 
Um, it is such a big piece to the sport. And the, the, the team that I coached this last spring that just ended literally two days ago for us in our, our season, you know, that was one of the things that we were struggling with. And, and I was honest with them, you know, I was like, there's that we have moments of being together, but then we also have moments where we break and we go back to, you know, hero ball. And that's when we start to break the most. And so I love that you preach that. I think that's super important, especially at the club level. I want to ask from a player and a coach's perspective now at the club level, you've had experience playing, you've had experience coaching at the club level. Do you feel that uh, club AAU basketball is almost taking over? And like, does it have more of an impact for the the athletes' exposure and, and potential recruiting process over the high school basketball, um, or does that depend on where you're from? Man, that's a great question, Shane. Um, I hope not would be kind of the first thing I say, just because I love my high school experience. You know, there's nothing like playing with the guys you go to class with, you know, and just seeing the student body show up and hopefully they got their school colors on and you know, the pep rally before the game at school. And, you know, I love high school sports, so I really hope it's not turning. I think soccer has kind of turned into where club is more important than um, and maybe even volleyball where those star soccer players aren't playing for their high school teams. They're playing with their select program year round. Right. I really hope that doesn't happen in basketball just because there is something special about being with your teammates. Um, and I will touch on fly select great organization out of the same area I'm from, um, Josiah and Sean Lake brothers that do a great job out of the practice facility. Um, I think very highly of those guys. And there's some guys that are in this business that aren't doing it for the right reasons. And I can definitely say those guys and, um, players that I've worked with that are playing for them have great things to say. Uh, and they do play together and they're successful high school players. So they're all coming from their own high schools where they've had success and then they come together. And so I just wanted to make sure I echoed that, but that is a great team. Totally. They are incredible, but I, I, this is the cool thing. And that, that what makes them incredible is that they, I love the fact that you mentioned that. I didn't know, I don't know anything about their background. Those players that I mentioned, I didn't know if they were good at their high schools or not. Uh, so the fact that they can come together, even as like solid players in their respective schools and play together, that's awesome. Cause you don't always see that. You see a lot of egos when it comes to athletics right. nowadays. Um, and I love your, your uh, take on high school athletics. Uh, I think there is so much, there, there's a beauty in high school athletics that I wish a lot of people could just see. Even if you're not like always, I think what happens, Brent, is, is kids, they play for a club. Maybe they're having a really successful year or they play a certain role in, in club sports. And I'll say basketball for this particular conversation. They're playing a certain role. Maybe they're more of a scoring role in clubs in this particular club because that's what they are needed to do. They, they need that to do that. But then they go to their high school and they're in a particular system. So they don't have the same positive experience. And then they they look down upon it. They don't they take it for granted. They might not have the same success in high school as they might have with their particular club because it's just a different type of ball, different personnel and so forth. And I think a lot of people, including parents, uh, start to dislike the high school scene. And I, I feel bad about that, at least here where we're from, because I, I love high school athletics, just like you said. I think it's it's so awesome. I think you can have a positive experience in both high school and club basketball. I think that's there's just so much to, to learn on each of those, but you, just, you do have to understand that like they are separate. Yes. You can implement things from both of them. You've learned this over here now, implement it into your high school season and, and whatnot and have a positive experience, but like they are different and you've got to be able to separate the two. Um, I've known a lot of guys that have won championships in club basketball and then they go over and they have a 10 win season in high school. And it's just not the same type of experience, but um, at least, you know, th th they just had to be able to separate the two for you. 
Can you talk to us about like any athlete that's listening right now, maybe a parent as well, and even coaches for that matter, as an athlete and, and as a coach, understanding what it's like to go from high school to the collegiate level. Okay. We've talked about club basketball. We've talked about high school sports, but the transition from high school to the collegiate level, what was the toughest thing that you as a player experienced? And then at the coaching side of things, what did you, what did you see your players experience? That was the toughest transition for them. Yeah, great question. I think the two big things on the floor is the speed of the game and the strength of the game. I think you see players, and one of those a player has some control over, which is the strength, you know, by getting in the weight room and putting in work. Um, the speed, it just takes a little bit of time to get adjusted to. Uh, off the floor, time management. Time management. If you're an athlete watching this, a high school athlete, and you think you want to play at the college level, you got to be able to master time management. If you're a time waster, it's going to be hard to be able to be successful at the college level because it is so demanding what with your time that you can't procrastinate. You can't put, oh, I'll, I'll do this assignment later, or I'll start writing that paper on Friday. You got to be able to manage your time in order to be successful. So that's the one thing, the big difference I see between kids that make it and at the college level and don't make it is their ability to manage their time. And I think that that's so on the floor, I'd say the speed of the game and the strength of the game are the two big adjustments. And then just the freedom of being able to be on your own, you know, mom's not there telling you to put away the video games and go to bed, you know, not telling you to get up. It's you're on your own. You know, obviously you have a coaches that care about the kids and we want to see them do well and we want the kids to be successful. But at the end of the day, it's about them, you know, and their future, not me and my future. Right. Like I have a beautiful wife and a gorgeous four year old daughter and a son on the way. Like I'm good. Right. Like and I always tell the kids, don't do this stuff for me. Right. Like, don't think that you're going to class to keep me happy. You know, obviously you got to go to class, but that should be about you and your future. Do this because you want to be successful and you want to have a good life. Don't do it to just try to keep coaches happy. I think that's an important lesson for kids is to realize it's about them and their future more than it is about their coach, their teacher, their professor. We want them to be successful. Man, if, if my kids that I coach from like just two days ago had a conversation, they would think that you and I, they would have thought that I had talked to you before I had talked to them on Saturday. That was literally the, the, the same exact thing I was telling them. We had a tough loss up 12 points, lost by 11. That's a 23 point swing in that game. And I was frustrated. And I was like, listen guys, like you got to do it for yourselves. Like you got to figure out what you want out of this. And I straight up said, I'm like, I got a great life. I got a wife and three kids and, and I'm happy where I'm at. I got a good profession. I just started telling them like, it ain't for me. I love you guys. I want you guys to be successful, but like you got to find it for yourselves. And I had a very serious conversation. So what you were just saying there, I was smiling because I was like, holy cow. Wow. Like I, this is, this is meant to be this conversation. So I'm glad you I, I'm glad you shared that. Um, the time management thing I think is going to be huge. Even at the junior college level, I feel like a lot right. of kids, I mean, it, this is trickling. It's not just division one. That's going to be like demanding of your time. Even when you go to junior college, kids just aren't used to doing, you know, school and, and sports and all that stuff all in the same day. And if you truly want to, do like the coaches nowadays even at the junior college level a lot of those junior colleges they're they're going to ask you to do a lot you might get up early you're still going to be getting up at 5 36 o'clock doing either getting your shots up and or lifting weights and then going to class and then coming back for practice like they're running things like those bigger programs because they're trying to help you understand what it's like to get to the next level so it's going to be demanding regardless of where you go so it's good that you just probably 
figure that out now. Listen to Brant right now and like figure that out now and just realize like you're not going to get away from it, especially if you want to be successful and go to a successful program or a successful school. You're going to have to like just come to the realization. Um, that's awesome. Now, if you were coaching Brant, like you've been like, like we said, you were, you know, working with the men's basketball program at Pacific for the last five years. Uh, you know, seeing a lot of athletes out there, if you were to tell someone like, I got a lot of guys on my team that are under six feet tall. Like our tallest guy was six foot two. That's not a joke. And he was our power forward. That's, that's typical Idaho basketball though. Like not a lot of true posts around here at the six foot two power forward. Um, if, if you were looking at these guys, that's obviously not necessarily the, the biggest of guys, like guys are five ten, five eleven. If you could tell them two things to focus on, what would it be if they wanted to play at the next level seriously? Because if coach is looking at them, they're going to be like, man, that's kind of a short guy. There's a million different guys that are under six foot two. So what would you say to focus on? Like, what would you want? If you want to get on the court and actually play at the next level, even if that's a junior college or a D3, what do you look for in your players after that experience you've had as a coach? Yeah, that's, you got some great questions. I appreciate the lead-ins because this is helping me with what I want to say. Um, I definitely think body language you know, one of the things that I really look for is body language. You know, I think it was Buzz Williams said, body language doesn't whisper, it screams. I body love it. language screams. And that's something where you can you can get 30 in a game and you can be locking up your guy, but if you slump your shoulders or you, you know, shrug your shoulders when you come out of the game or you pout or you mope or somebody's trying to give you a high five and you just walk by them, that I mean, that ties into attitude. You know, I kind of like going to a game sometimes, sometimes, and seeing the kid I'm recruiting getting their butt kicked. You know, not every time, obviously, yeah. right? Not every time, but sometimes just that way I can see how they handle adversity. It's easy to be a good teammate when everything's going your way. It's easy to be a good teammate when you're winning. It's easy to have good body language when your team's up 25. Right. But how do you handle adversity? Because that's what really shows your true character. And everybody's going to have hiccups and bumps along the road. So how do you handle adversity speaks volumes about your character. So one way that I can and this is my take. Right. You asked me my take. And right. Right. If you're watching this, there's other coaches that you might be able to pout and mope and they're not going to care. But one quick way to get crossed off my recruiting list is bad body language. Um, the second one kind of ties in, I guess, with that is being a leader, you know, um, being the one that is huddling up your teammates. If you want to, if you're watching this and you're about to play some summer basketball and you want to make yourself stand out, be the one that gets your teammates together before a free throw and huddles them up. Be the one that says, I'm going to give 500 touches today. Just positive body language touch, touch, touch. Hey, let's go pick them up your teammates. They make a bad play, pick them up. They make a great play next play, you know, like just that positive body language, um, speaks volumes for me. And again, there's some coaches that might not, that might not be their answer, you know, but notice neither of those and I'm at a D three. So, and we do have a JV team. So we do recruit a lot of kids and there's some kids that come in and play JV and then they work their way on the varsity. There's some kids that we come in and we tell them they're going to be on JV and they quit. And so there is, but one way to make the team, you know, obviously you want a kid that can knock down shots and defend and, you know, but those two things, being a leader that can, you know, like, I think I was a pretty good leader in college and I never started the game, 
right? Like I felt like I was one of the better leaders on our team. I won the sprints. I helped the team GPA. Right? <laughs> I love like, it. I knew my role. So everybody's got to know their role. So I know you asked for two, but body language and leadership and role, like knowing their role. So do what you do and do it really well. If you're not a shooter, don't come out and try to shoot 15 shots a game. Do what you do and do it really well. And coaches will take notice. Be the loudest person in the gym. You know, just talk. If you don't know, talk about what you're doing. Hey, I got your help. I got your help. Hey, I'm over here. I'm over here. Go, 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 go. I got you. I got you. I got you. Just talk. Coaches will look. Coaches will hear you, like literally and figuratively hear you. I hear you, bro. Like I hear you. And that, that's a way to get attention. And it's something that everybody, well, most everybody can do is talk. But it's not comfortable for most kids. It's not natural to step out of your comfort zone and talk. But be a leader, have good body language, and communicate. Oh, man. All of those are goal. I'm like, so just so you know, if you see me typing, it's because I grab my phone. I start taking notes right here. I always encourage all my listeners to take notes, too, especially if they're listening on their phone, which they most likely are. Like, listen to this and start taking notes on the note app because all of those things are just genius. You know, Brand, it's funny you mentioned that it's like it's not natural. One of the, I'm so sick as a coach, and this is went all the way from March 1st all the way through this last weekend on Saturday was our final game in the spring. I'm not, I never went one game without having to remind my team talk. It's like a library out here. No one's talking on defense, even if like, and I know they're tired. Kids get tired. And they're like, the last thing they want to do is be standing there and saying, I got your help, help, help. Especially, you know, games got like five minutes left. They're exhausted. They're running back and forth a couple of times in a row. Buckets aren't going in. So there's a lot of things that deflate a player, but like, those are the little things. I'm glad you shared that, that like coaches are looking for, like talk, let them know that you're doing that. Be a leader. And the body language is so immensely important as well. And I'm so glad you shared that at the beginning of that, because it is easy to, to have good body language when you're winning. But uh, most of the time, no one's won hundred percent of their games. No one ever has. Um, and the little things you can do to help with the attitude and stuff like the touches, that's something that very few coaches actually teach. Uh, but that is such a vital piece to help with that all. Like I'm going to, I'm going to give 500 touches, like give them a high five, Give them a pat on the head, you know, like give them, like lift them up, raise them up. All those little things that can do wonders for a team. Um, and I've seen it even this last weekend. We had this conversation about body language with certain players. One person's body language can make everybody else anxious. You know what I mean? If it's a negative thing, someone right. shoots a bad shot, which everybody shoots bad shots in a game. And if one player who's consistently making a, a bad body language, it makes everyone anxious. So then everyone's not playing freely because they're scared that so-and-so is going to have like a reaction to it. And that to me as a coach is infuriating. It even makes the right. coaches anxious. It's right. like, if I pull this kid out of the game, he's going to throw a fit. And then I got to focus on that instead of like focusing on what I need to be focusing on. So I love that you brought all those things up. It's it's the honest conversations that these kids need to know. And, and, it's, it, and it's something that everyone can work on. It's not something that's impossible. All these kids can do every one of these things. And so that's why I'm, I'm grateful that you shared that. Um, going into the conversation, you, you, you're at Pacific D3 school. We talked about it before we started recording. D3s are a little bit tougher in some instances to recruit at times because of the cost of school. You know, you go to certain schools, they'll offer scholarships or a junior college is typically really cheap in, in comparison to tuition. And, you know, some of these smaller schools, though, there's limited or no options for scholarships in some some places. And so it, it is hard for certain kids from certain places to go there because maybe they don't have the funding for it um, and whatnot. So we talked about this and then I brought up the conversation of 
NIL. So name, image, and likeness. This is a big thing that just, it's almost been a year since it got passed. I think July was when it got passed last year. So through collegiate athletics, NIL, people can now, you know, basically earn money off of their, their name, image, or likeness. That's which as before that, up until this point, that was illegal. That could get them a scholarship revoked or they would be ineligible to play. Now it's like, okay, if you can bank off of that, then great. I'm curious from your perspective though, because this NIL stuff and I will also add on to that. Well, that's another conversation, the transfer portal. But I want to talk about the NIL first. What do you see? Is it, has it been harder for the D3 schools with this NIL stuff? Have you seen an impact from when this NIL uh, deal has been opened up freely and it, and it was made free to everybody in collegiate athletics? Has it been harder for these smaller schools? Have, it, have you seen an impact from that um, since that went open, I guess, a year ago? Yeah, really interesting. I would love to hear a panel of discussion on this from other coaches too, but I wouldn't say I've felt it too much at our level. We're trying to figure out how we can use it as an advantage at our level. Obviously, I think everyone's trying to figure out how they can use it as an advantage, but you were mentioning there when we when you first started that question about the difficulty of Division three recruiting because um, we don't have athletic scholarships. So you can be 6'11", jump out of the gym, or run a 4.340, our football team's not gonna be able to offer you any money. Our basketball team's not gonna be able to offer you a scholarship. So I always tell recruits the best thing they can do right now to improve their chances of playing in college is get better grades. And that's one that some kids are like, no, shouldn't it be get a tighter handle or a better jumper or you know get quicker? No, the, to improve your odds or chances of playing, the best thing that they can do is get better grades because then they could open up an opportunity like a Division three, or a walk-on. You know, most of my school is paid for through academics, community service, student government, leadership programs. So getting better grades can help them have more opportunities. Um, as far as the NIL, uh, we were kind of, you know, saying and joking that if you're the quarterback at Ohio State or you're the point guard at Duke, there's going to be people wanting you to represent their brand with your name, image, and likeness. But we're trying to figure out how we can help students, whether that's in their hometown running a camp, using their name that, hey, I'm back in town. I'm from, you know, wherever it is, Eagle, Idaho, and I'm the star from two years ago. I'm running a camp. And some kids were doing that stuff and, you know, not supposed to be doing it. But now um, there's way more ways that they can monetize that and do it legally. So I think that that's just something that hasn't really seen too much of an impact, I feel like, at our level. But there's about to be more haves and have nots. You know, there's always been a little bit of disparity, especially like even NAIA. Yeah. And D2, where there's partial scholarships, like NAIA, they can give like eight full rides or they can divide it up. But if they can, you know, when I was at the NAIA level at Southern Oregon University, we would try to get kids that we could give half academic, half athletic. And then usually those kids' parents could cover their housing. So we were trying to get kids through debt free. Um, so we could take those six. We used to only have six back then at the NAIA Division II level. Now there's only one NAIA level that's eight, but we take those six and try to stretch them as far as we could. So if we were looking at a kid and they were fairly similar talent-wise, but one's a 3.0 and one's a 4.0, we're going to take the 4.0 because then we could give them more academic money and it wouldn't cost as much for them to attend. So I think that that's something that 
but there's some of these small town schools or schools that are just in, you know, the only school in their community where they might be able to get a car dealership to pitch in some funds to help a kid get a, a NIL deal where they come sign autographs at the car dealership one day or, you know, so some of those schools that are in those communities where they just rally around the school, the university, I think they might have some advantages, more advantages now than they used to. Um, but it, I haven't seen too much of an impact year one, but I do think it's going to, as people get more and more creative as NFTs and Web3 and some of those other things continue to emerge, I think we are going to see more people taking advantage of and using the platforms and using their name um, to benefit. So there's a lot of interesting stuff in the space. I know BYU was doing an interesting one about all their walk-ons were all of a sudden given full ride by a company. So it's just, that's like kind of a gray area, right? Cause now it yeah. seems like they're able to give way more scholarships well, scholarship equivalencies because they're only given a certain same number of scholarships but then all their walk-ons are now getting full rides also. So it is kind of a gray area, but I, I think you're going to see more and more haves and have nots as time goes on and people figure out how to use it to their advantage. I'm glad you brought that up. That's interesting. You said that it's the built bars. Um, I believe built yep. was the company yep, that, exactly. that offered that for the, and it's, uh, the, the owner, it was a BYU alum, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's options there though, as a Blitnikoff award voter for football, like I'm pretty heavily involved with the voting process for the best wide receiver in football. Well, Jordan Addison, that was the biggest conversation just um, this last week was he was one, he's going to transfer from the university of Pittsburgh. And he was looking at all these different schools to go to, but he wanted $3 million. It's wild. This college athletes asking for three mil. So he's going to USC, Texas, and Ohio state. That's why I was heavily involved with that. And uh, ultimately he was just looking who could get the biggest NIL deal for him. Wow. Uh, which one of those places, obviously USC being in Southern California, got a little bit more money over there. Uh, was able to grant his request. It seems like that's where he's leaning, but what I wanted to get as kind of echo what you said, Brant, is I've talked to a lot of different companies who work with the NIL stuff and they're trying to help athletes start their own businesses, put their stuff online, try to figure the stuff you mentioned NFTs. There's a big, there's a company I work with that does a lot of that stuff for, for athletes trying to help them with NFTs and understand how they could leverage that, which has actually been really successful, but it's for these athletes that are not part of these USC's Ohio States and all those big schools, because there's a lot of options. You might not be making $3 million, but you can try to get like, even if you go to a D3 school and you have to pay for your tuition and, and whatnot, um, you can find ways to, to leverage your name, image, and likeness, start a podcast. You know what I mean? Start a podcast right. and talk about being a collegiate athlete. I think it'd be huge. I would listen to that all day long. Start a right. blog, start a YouTube channel, just like that kicker from uh, university of central Florida who got his scholarship revoked just two years right. ago for it. But that the reason he got it revoked is because he was banking off of YouTube because people actually watched that. Um, right. I did. So, those are the types of things I wish people just kind of open their mind to. And if you live in a small town, well, like you said, like small towns will typically rally around their athletes. And so go talk to your local fishing shop and see right. if you can't like open up a thing there where you come sign autographs a dollar a piece. And maybe you get 500 to a thousand people that show up that day with their kids and their cousins and everyone else. And you can you know, make a couple grand. Who knows? There's a lot of different things that you can do now. I love the camp option. Um, run some camps in your local community and they'll rally around that. Um, and now you can't get in trouble for it. I would almost argue getting get in contact with local clubs. Uh, if you have a club like you know sports scene in there that are running their own camps, maybe there could be some some work together with that. Hey, we're going to be featuring 
so-and-so who played at such and such high school and played for this club too. They're going to be here for a day doing a skills development, da, 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 da. And maybe their sponsor that they have for that could give them a kickback. There's things that you can do now that aren't going to get you in trouble, but you get, you still got to be within the lines of what's, what's good and what's not. But now it seems like most of it's been open. Just an interesting conversation. Now, the other side that I wanted to ask you then, Brant, transfer portals. When I was talking to a local high school coach here out of the Valley, his name is Jeff Saner. He's been on the show as well. I love Jeff Saner from Meridian. That's my alma mater. Uh, Jeff was talking about his own kid, like his own kid, Donovan Saner, who I just talked to this last weekend. He's now going to be playing. He played junior college down in California. Now he's going to be playing for Gary Payton, uh, who's now coaching the school down there. And um, we were talking about the transfer portal and how that's impacted even the junior college level. So like the smaller levels of, of athletics, it's actually getting a huge uh, shift in recruiting because of the fact that now a lot of college coaches, even at the D1 level, they're looking at the transfer portal for these 20-year-old kids before they even look at these 18-year-olds coming out of high school. So a lot of their stuff is going towards that first, and then they might look at some of these kids. So then the junior colleges, that trickles down to the junior colleges too, and the D3s right. and the D2. So I want to know if you've experienced that yet at the D3 level, um, the transfer portal and how that's impacted the recruiting process from that side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, shout out Jeff. Jeff, uh, he's been great. I've communicated with him and talked to him about his son. And um, yeah, I really respect Jeff. Sonora, right? S-A-N-O-R. Yep, yep. Yeah, really respect him. So shout out if he's watching this. But definitely have felt it because call it D1s. First, they're recruiting their players back for that COVID year. Uh, yeah. So they're going after getting their kids to come back for that fifth or sixth year. They're trying to go. So that's their first recruiting option is to get their kids back. Then they're going after the proven transfer. You know, so then they're going out there trying to find a kid that's already done it somewhere else. That's a couple years more experienced, a little bit more mature. So they're going their players. Then they're going after the transfer portals. Then they're going after junior college players. Then they're going after prep school players. Then they're going after maybe high school players. So like there's very few colleges that are going after high school players now. So that's, I feel like kind of positively impacted where I am at, at the division three level, because we've got some kids at Pacific that in a typical year would be getting scholarships. No question in my mind. Right. But because there is such a log jam, because nobody lost that year of eligibility because of COVID, these kids are getting a fifth, or if they had already served their redshirt year, they're getting a sixth year. So they can be 24. Kids' bodies are different between oh, yeah. 24 and 18. So there's kids that would have been playing at the scholarship level that are now not, just because there's not enough spots. So that's really opened up kids that are looking for places to play that are end up having to pay for their school, which they wouldn't have had to do four five, six years ago. But now because there is such a log jam and people that are, there's way more kids that want to play in college than get to. So scholarship level programs are able to be more selective and picky and choose. And so if you're talking about a kid from Idaho, that's maybe a six, two, wing or you know maybe not even a guard it's hard you know so it has in some ways positively impacted us because there's kids reaching out to me that i'm like how is this kid not getting a scholarship you know we got our starting point guard last year led the league in assists as a true freshman 
and he didn't commit until like June. And I was like, how is this kid not getting a scholarship? He played at a Portland Interscholastic League High School. He averaged 11, 5, 5, and 4 steals. And in a typical year, he would have been at at least an NAI, but he's, you know, he's now playing for us, was all conference this year and had a 14 assist, one turnover game and just a baller. So I feel like we were very fortunate to end up getting him at Pacific, but that was just because there wasn't schools looking. And so there's a lot of players that are reaching out. So I feel like the COVID year, the transfer portal, them not penalizing students for transferring, because it used to be you'd have to sit a year, right? So guys would transfer and then they were having to use two years of scholarships to get that kid for one year, where now you can transfer from Oregon to Oregon State and play right away. So there's not that penalty or that risk of, man, I'm going to cost me two years, two scholarships basically for that one year of playing. So it has definitely changed, but I think it's kind of positively influenced or impacted us at the division three level because there is kids that are looking for spots that in a typical year wouldn't be open to non-scholarship level basketball. That is awesome because that's not the response I was actually expecting because like right? it has had a positive influence on you for that reason. So that's also good to hear. I think a lot of kids are getting dis discouraged from wh whom I've been speaking to. A lot of the kids that I have are probably more of the junior college level players, and that's not a discredit to anybody. They could still play at that level. Um, and so I'm not trying to say that they're not, not good players. That Any college basketball is good basketball, but yeah. like they've all been getting discouraged, and a lot of them have, not all, um, with this whole transfer portal because they've heard some of those things that Jeff Sainer was talking about. Now that we were mentioning, like I like you said, like it's like log jam. There's, there, there's kids that are trickling down. It's going to different levels, but there's options out there. Um, and that's where they, you get the, the hidden gems and st stuff and they get to see schools like you guys are like, they can go play and, and, and have competitive basketball and stuff, but it's opening in there. Like they, now they have to do a little research on where's some options right. that are available to me. I, I mentioned earlier, there's a kid from our club who is now going over to a, a D three in Missouri. I don't know the exact, I didn't go into details, but I wonder if that might not have had something to do with it. Like, how did you find the school in Missouri? Dude? Like, they, that school was like recruiting out and, and trying to find some things. And that might've been an impact. I don't know. Maybe that school was like struggling with trying to figure that out too. But then they found this kid who hadn't been signed anywhere. who was a sharpshooter and now he's going out to Missouri. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, but um, kind of trickles me into my next question then too, Brant about recruiting in Idaho. You're obviously on the West coast. You kind of understand some of the regions. Um, Idaho doesn't get a lot of love for some reason. Uh, we do have some, some hidden gems. My, my other business that I run is the Idaho Underground Sports Network. We run a show called Gem Session. Our whole point is to uncover Idaho's hidden gems and try to get the, you know, get their names out there for people because we do know talent. Uh, they can compete with any – there's a lot of them that can compete with anybody, but they don't get a lot of love. Um, so talk to me about that, your experience in recruiting in Idaho. We don't need to say names or anything of that nature, but what have you seen um, with the Idaho athletics uh, compared to maybe that of the, the other parts of the West Coast? Yeah, we know they can play. You know, so I definitely recognize and some of those names we were mentioning before the show, I really liked their game. And I think you get a little bit of that, like we were saying, moxie, you yeah. know, a little bit of that toughness. And I like a kid that's got a little chip on his shoulder, like the the Melba kid. We won't, but he, I mean, just a little bit of that, like, hey, I'm under recruited. I'm going to prove this guy wrong. You know, you don't have to pass the eye test to play for me. You know, like there's some guys that are like, well, if I'm going to take that kid, I want him to be 6'4 with long arms and 
jump really well. And no, I don't mind a 5'11 guard if you got grit, if you're tough and you just lock somebody up and you can knock down a shot. Like, and I think that's kind of what I've seen out of the Idaho kids. Obviously, you have some kids um, that are bouncy and long that we tried to get, but there's some kids that, you know, just are under recruited because it is, there's, I mean, you have a few schools there and obviously Colby at C of I is going to try to get the best ones he can. And, you know, coach Johnson up there at LCSC is going to get the best ones he can, but there's just a lot of them. And so I think there is a lot of those kids that are under recruited out of Idaho. And that's part of the reason why I fly over to Boise and watch the MPI or watch these tournaments that, you know, the Hordemans are running and trying to build relationships, like reaching out yeah. to you on Instagram, right? Like just because I do know there is a lot of talent there that does go under recruited. And some kids, I'm trying to build those relationships because maybe they go off on a mission for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they're LDS and they're serving their church for a few years and then they come back and they're looking for a place. I want them to remember Coach Miner. So I definitely think there is a lot of talent, but you have to be proactive. Players have to be proactive now because there's not, because I get 15 emails a day. Yeah. So what are you doing to make yourself unique and stand out and differentiate yourself from those other 14? Because 95% of kids that play in high school don't get to play in college. It's like five to 6%, you know, depending on the year, depending, but that's 19 kids out of 20 don't get to play. Right. So what are you doing to make yourself stand out, especially if you're a six foot guard? You know, if you're 6'11", I'm going to watch your film. But And I try to get back to every kid who emails me, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to get back to every kid that emails yeah. me, you know? Just cause, but if you're a six-footer, you got to have your email stand out. you got to do something unique. You know, maybe it's send a handwritten letter. Maybe it's put your resume, you know, on a back. I always use the Nike example, right? Like if you're going to apply for a job at Nike, you can't just submit your resume because there's 500 other applicants. Maybe totally. you put your resume on a pair of Jordans or you put your resume on a basketball and you have somebody deliver it or, you know, there's, you got to make yourself stand out, especially if you're in marketing. I know we were talking about your day job and what you do marketing. Like you can't just do what everybody else does and thinks you're going to get new customers. You got to make yourself unique. You got to be uncommon. You got to make yourself stand out. Right. Dude. I love that. You just said that, man. I, I wish everyone just, uh, this is great. This is, this is fantastic information. The kids understand that be unique, stand out. Examples like you just provided right there are amazing. Just as crazy as it sounds. Like when I was working, like my full-time job, I've said it on here before. I work currently at a company called ClickFunnels. I've been doing that for the last almost five years in October. When we've had, it's called the dream 100 method. We, that's a marketing term, dream 100. Your dream 100 method is like, if you've got a, a hundred people that you want to work with and work for and, and collaborate with, you need to find a way to build that relationship with those individuals. And sometimes that is sending them things, find out what they like. I remember being at our office one time and a big old barbell, got delivered to our office that was customized as the Hulk. It was green and it had a customized message on each side of the barbells. And it was for our CEO. And they knew that our CEO had a home gym and had been posting all of him doing his deadlifts and so forth with, with his barbell and that he likes the Avengers. He loves Marvel. And so they got this customized barbell sent to him with an, uh, obviously a very nice note that it was in there as well. Cause they wanted to build a relationship. It's just right. find unique ways to stand out because right. I'll tell you what, I never forgot that. That was three years ago. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, I know it wasn't for me, but I bet, like, I didn't forget it. I bet he didn't forget it either. So right. it's pretty sweet. So 
Last thing I want to talk about with you, Brant, and this has been a gold mine of just information, and I'm grateful for you sharing it all because I think so many kids can benefit from it and parents. That's the biggest piece, too. The parents need to be educated as well. Um, Max Hoops, we, we discussed, like, you're director of Max Hoops. Let's talk about Max Hoops, what you're doing with Max Hoops, and uh, what this is all about because this is the, the bread and butter of it all. We've had a lot of good information, but what, what do you got going on over at Max Hoops? Yeah, so – I felt like I was under-recruited out of high school, similar to those, similar to every kid, I feel like. Um, I probably felt like I was a little better than I actually was. But I started Max Hoops to try to help kids that are under-recruited. So try to get, you know, so we do events run by current college coaches. So we do one in August, the Elite Basketball School. I'll have 15 to 20 of my college coaching buddies show up. We'll get 60 to 80 high school boys and we'll put them through two days of skill work and classroom sessions. Oh, wow. So I'm proud that I have a camp where we don't just roll it out and let them play fives. You know, a lot of camps or showcase type of events just roll the ball out and they say there's coaches there, but there's not, or there's one or two where I get 15 coaches and they do about 35 to 40 minutes on the floor and then about 35 to 40 minutes in a classroom. Classroom topics are everything from leadership, goal setting, time management, life of a college athlete, the recruiting process. So each coach brings their best 30 to 40 minutes on the floor. And then they bring something that they think high school students should know about when they're going through this recruiting process. So I started it just to help kids that are under recruited. Um, so I'm not targeting for max hoops the five-star kids kids pay to come i don't not charge some kids so i can charge some kids double you know and kids feel like well i'm pretty good you should want me at your camp well i don't need you at my camp you know so i try to you know and i think that's fair to the parents that are paying that each kid there does pay to be there um and so I think that that's a benefit to the kids. The coaches love it because they're getting to recruit 60 kids that want to play in college all in the same gym in two days. So the coaches get the recruit, the kids get recruited. It's like a coaching clinic for me because I'm over there writing down all the coaches drills and, you know, obviously they're not bringing their plays and stuff, but they're bringing their best energy, high energy drills to camp. I started it when I was at Southern Oregon University. So this is the 13th summer that I've run this camp. And then we do some stuff in Sacramento, Sacramento Spokane. Um, we were in a tournament in San Diego. It's been in Vegas the last three years. This year we moved it to San Diego. So we're doing a lot just to try to help kids that maybe are under-recruited get to the small college level. So it's all small college coaches. You know, I mentioned 15 to 20. It's not john shire from duke and you know dana altman from oregon if the kid's good enough i'll make the call right like i'll call coach shire you know i know him well enough that if a kid's good enough i'll put in you know I, i've had his number for quite a while and i've never called him about a player yet because i'm not going to miss and tell a coach at duke to recruit a kid that's maybe not top notch but it's all small college coaches that are there trying to find players and trying to help the kids so Max Hoops is definitely something that I started to just really help kids that are under-recruited. I am so blown away by it all. And I love the whole idea of not only is it the, the kids, like the small schools and so forth, which is quite honestly the majority of like athletes right. 
So it's also the whole classroom aspect that you incorporate with it all too, not just on the court, but in the classroom. Like that's the, I just wish more people did that. So I'm grateful that you're doing that. Now, if we go to maxhoops.com and somebody's now listening to this and like, okay, I want to go check this out. So I'm assuming, is that the main source of information on Max Hoops yeah. or is there anywhere else you'd prefer to drop? Maxhoops.com is the best way to see it all. Maxhoops.com, Maxhoops3 on Instagram. So, and Twitter, Maxhoops3 is the Instagram and Twitter, but Maxhoops.com, M-A-X-H-O-O-P-S.com should take you to the website where you can see information about the camps, the tournaments. Um, I do that camp in the summer and all the kids are like, but we want to play games, coach, like all kids do. So that's where I started the showcase events where they still get some classroom time. They still get some skill development, but they also get to play a few games, five on five games over the weekend. So the camp in August, first weekend of August, there's not five on five games. So there's skill competitions. The kids get some competitive drills where they're competing for pushups and prizes and stuff but there's not five on five games. So kids, if you're watching this, you gotta be serious because there's some kids and kids fall asleep in the classroom on Sunday and those kids don't end up getting recruited. But the kid that's sitting in the front row, that's got five pages of notes, that's raising his hand, asking questions. Those kids tend to find a spot, whether that's as a walk-on at a JUCO or a D3 or an NAIA, or they get the opportunity to go be a practice player somewhere. But there's definitely ways that you can be known, even if you're not the tallest, fastest, best player. When you asked me the two things that your players could do to make themselves stand out, none of them were basketball related. I mean, it was talking, it was body language, it was energy, it was leadership. All those things stand out. And obviously, we want kids that can rebound and play defense and make shots. But there is more to the game than just putting the ball in the bucket. 100%, 100%. And uh, I just want to remind everybody, so like if they go to your website then, Brand, they want to look at these camps. Um, there's on the website, there are there's like a homepage, obviously, then there's showcases, the exclusive elite basketball school. So what are the camps considered when they're looking? The for elite games? basketball school is the one in August. That's the main one that's coming up in Portland. It's at Clackamas Community College. So cool. it's on a college campus, a community college campus. Um, that's August 6th and 7th, first weekend of August. So the elite basketball school or on the homepage, if you just scroll down, you'll see the elite basketball school, but that's the main one I have coming up. And then, um, they can reach out to me. My contact information's on there. It's just max hoops three at Gmail coach minor three at Gmail. Um, but yeah, they can reach out to me and get on a mailing list or just reach out and I'm pretty accessible as far as getting back to people and letting them know what's going on. But the main thing coming up is the elite basketball school first weekend of August here in Portland. I love it, dude. This is awesome. And so I'm going to encourage everybody who's listening to this right now uh, to go to maxhoops.com. Go check that out. Listen to what uh, Coach Miner's telling you guys about like all this. This is super cool, super vital information, especially for my listeners that are here in Idaho. I got a lot in Utah. I got a lot in Oregon and Washington because that's where my family's from, my wife's family's from. So got a lot of people there that could probably benefit from this. So please take advantage of this opportunity um, and all the information that uh, Coach Miner has shared with us today. So 
Brand, I just appreciate you, man. This has Absolutely. been an awesome conversation. I appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule to like at least sit down and chat with me. Um, man, it's been awesome. I, I look forward to continuing the relationship, um, the yeah, friendship man. moving forward. I'm just grateful that you reached out. And uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna wish you on behalf of everybody who's listening as well, the best of recovery uh, with your Achilles and everything else that you got going on, man. So stay strong. And uh, I just appreciate you joining the Game Time Guru podcast. Definitely. No, I appreciate it. T... G what do you go by GT GTG game time guru so it's just game time, time guru, guru. okay GTG. all right <laughs> well Shane I do appreciate the opportunity I always love talking hoops meeting new people and I, I wasn't joking I do love the basketball culture there in Boise and Idaho there there's just a lot of really good people um had some when I was coaching at Southern Oregon we had some tough trips to Caldwell though <laughs> ah, those guys got us a couple times Scott Garson over there and oh yeah they they beat us a few times but I've definitely enjoyed my time when I do get over there to Boise and Meridian and um definitely the up-tempo guys those guys have been great you know um Garrett Fitz and some of the guys that are around there like we were just talking about before now with up-tempo and uh now with Premier so I'm excited to recruit those guys and hopefully uh, get some boxers and definitely appreciate your time. So let's stay in touch and uh, hopefully we'll see you down the road and I'll be back up above the rim again soon. Let's get it. Yeah, for sure, Brent. I appreciate you, man. For all the listeners out there, I hope you guys enjoyed. I'll give you one more reminder. If you guys enjoyed this interview with Coach Miner, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think about it. And we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.